run into the ground. We're back. Another episode. Back with Andrew and uh, bringing you another guest. We got a founding member of the early November, former member of Hello Goodbye, donut entrepreneur, current band manager, and new Italian citizen. We got Joe Morrow here. What's up, Joe? Hello. Yeah, that was that was all the things. <laughs> Andrew, did you get the did you get the um the clearance from your other band members to use that? I that haven't piece of said music? anything yet, but uh, <laughs> Adam Adam liked the uh, run into the grand Instagram page today, so I feel like that that uh, gives me all that's my consent, recourse. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 sixty percent of the band. Like I said, it took you sent out the the intro that you wrote. Uh, now that we have an intro, this is the first episode with an intro actual leading in live uh, instead of cut in later. You you tried to get three different people to record drums for it, and everyone like left the country. I'm glad you just stuffed everybody, your face now that we started right, recording. Everybody, everybody didn't leave the country. Everybody just flaked. I mean, do you know a single drummer that's not a flake? That's true. They do really have kind of like a... Like, uh, a, a certain je ne sais quoi to them that they are so in demand that they can kind of get away with whatever they, whatever they want. You know? And it's it's also a very small center of a Venn diagram where it's like drummers, drummers who have time <clears throat> and drummers who like have the ability to record drums remote. Uh, yeah, You're looking for a I very guess... specific person there. That person <laughs> is usually pretty busy and doesn't give a shit. Yeah, you would think that. Yeah, no drummers have jobs. That's that's a fact. Because they're too busy drumming. I don't know that that's a fact. <laughs> I mean, I've done the research. It's not peer reviewed, but you know, personal experience. But, but now yeah, you're making no. me think. Like, do I know an employed drummer? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I see that everyone's got their drinks. What's the bev check situation going on? Joe, what are you drinking? Have a Negroni oh. to honor my Italian heritage, oh, as mentioned yes. in the in the intro. What's your what's your um, uh, what's your normal gin? Ooh, so I like Tangeray, but I think it's mostly. The, I think the most important element to a Negroni is your vermouth. Mm, what's your vermouth because situation? It's, it's sweet, right? Sweet vermouth. Oh, of course, sweet red, sweet uh, vermouth. I use Koki, which is uh, very vanilla forward. It's Ooh. great. I love it. That um, sounds delicious. Yeah. You is know, that, it's is only that, like... Is that not mm-hmm. the vermouth, the vermouth that you see everywhere? That would probably be Martini and Rossi. Would Rossi. Would be like the most common right. vermouth. But that vermouth is, you know, for seven bucks, it's not bad. But if you want to spend a little bit more, you can get some good stuff. But don't, you don't need to go to Antiqua, which is the really expensive stuff. But I think not as good. Yeah, but like, it doesn't... Unlike most alcohols, ooh, that's like 15 alcohols. <laughs> um, <laughs> vermouth does go bad, right? You really you need to use vermouth within like a not don't long, it? like a couple months. Right? I mean, what does it turn into? Balsamic? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't balsamic know. Balsamic's worth even more, yeah. Well, yeah, are we somewhere between wine and balsamic? getting emails over here you guys oh my flashlight's on like a 80 year old oopsie poopsie this on video what are we doing no but but that that part will be so i wanted to i wanted to tell you i brought two beverages with me today 
uh, both of which were readily available. The Royal Farms across the street from my house. See, Number I feel one, like you rub it in everyone's face uh, that you live across from a, a convenience store. It's and it's, it shouldn't uh, be anything like admired, but I'm so envious every it's, time. It's you're, honestly, I just ran across the street. So I've never does had still get, death. Does it still get water. robbed like every morning? Got robbed three days ago. <laughs> um, Great place to raise a child. So I got a, a liquid death sparkling water. Okay, yeah, murder your thirst. Yeah, murder um, it. I've never had a. I've never had a liquid death. I have a. <laughs> I've like a, I have a physical aversion to their marketing techniques. I, but, I hate that it's actually pretty decent. <laughs> yeah, uh, and but more importantly, I have a blood orange white claw surge. Oh my god! Which I would have thought. I would have thought this would have had like caffeine or something in it. Didn't realize it was just double the alcohol. So <laughs> bo- bottoms up, boys. <laughs> Oh my God! And this is this is the decline of of Andrew right before our Joe, eyes. Joe, 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 and I have been friends for a very long time, and I want to pose a question to you: Are you happy <laughs> that our principal friend group did not drink very much? Is that true? Yeah, most of I them. Get, I get, I like guess when we is. would all I hang mean, out, we would never hang out at like a bar. We never had cocktails. No, it wasn't really a bar crowd, but I don't feel like, I feel like also, um, you know, Scott and, and, uh, and Lippincott certainly drank right. at that time. Right. You that's know? true. That's true. But like, I feel like, I feel like Bob drinks, uh, now, but also like more now, but also he's like more of like a cocktail guy who just likes, but yeah, I guess you're right. It wasn't but it like was a big party. Most, most friend groups hang out in bars okay i wouldn't yeah. say most but I don't it's know, an easy it's place to meet up and maybe like, it's because we we met pre pre being 21 and that just wasn't part I of it i think that's part of it and also once uh once sugar mom uh, closed mm. <laughs> we we had nowhere to go i was just thinking about that uh that was the the greatest bar in philadelphia for a time it certainly felt like it yeah i feel I just, like i uh, I yeah I I think my core friend group also like same deal like we kind of started hanging before we were really drinking and but I went to more insane parties as a non-drinker than I ever did as someone who was like not straight edge I've never been to an insane party really yes never in my life have I ever (sighs) even I you know I lived with people who are partiers and they were parties but i wasn't I, there i went to a couple so my friend uh before i mean we were we, we've been friends a long time but like before that i kind of knew her cousins who were like an, a, a younger and older sister like ruckers attendees new like uh, in the biblical sense <laughs> <clears throat> but uh so they had the craziest parties I've ever seen in my entire life. If Jay Vane but crazy was there, how? crazy how? Okay, well here here's a good example. They Give had me a, a beach Project ha- X story. Okay, well there was uh, they had a beach house and I sh- they were there the night before, so they got there that night, had a party. I showed up the next day at noon in Seaside, of course, and literally I I get there, everyone's still asleep, everyone's kind of passed out everywhere. In in the the single night, there's like an ass shaped hole in the drywall. 
There's like two spindles on the staircase, like snapped in half. Uh, in the kitchen, just covered in alcohol and like left out. Uh, they were mixing vodka with ice cream <laughs> with like a spoon. <laughs> and then in the wall, someone, it was like someone took a phone message. Someone wrote a phone number in like half dry Sharpie on the back of a paper plate and tacked it into the wall with a steak knife. <laughs> Like, that was them taking a note. I guess I have been to a crazy party. I thought we were going in a different direction here. What do you What do you mean? Like, I, I mean, don't know, man. Like, throwing a house party seemed like my hell at the time. Like, I can't imagine why anyone would ever want to throw a house party. Yeah, I can't. Honestly, there's a... There's a mentality that goes along with, like... Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't don't. imagine, like, oh, my parents are gone for the night. Let's fucking throw a rager. Like that seems like I'm not normally an anxious person, but that would drive me up the wall. Like the amount of things. My sister threw one once when uh, my parents went away. My house, like in Hamilton, growing up. Get out of here! I came back the next day, and like the whole house was wrecked. My sister didn't even bother to clean it up because it was like too far gone. So she was like, "Might as well not try." (laughs) If I'm just going to like get in trouble anyway. And I was so mad because all of like my CDs were out and like mm. <laughs> fucking scratched and shit. Like oh my in my God. PlayStation, probably at that point, PlayStation One or games were all goofed up. I was real mad. I thought I also my paintball gun went missing. Mm, but unfortunately, oh. I never went to. I I never got to go to very many house parties uh, because when I was house party age, I spent a lot of time like touring. But I certainly saw crazy things on buses that mm. I won't. Yeah, but I won't mention. <laughs> I gotta be honest. Some of the most insane shit I've seen on buses were on your buses. <laughs> yeah, but it was never. It was never. It was no, never it was doing. never because of you. And I don't want to no, point out um, the guilty parties, Sergio. But I yeah. mean, some of the most <laughs> insane. In fact, I'm gonna go a step further, and I'm gonna say some of the most insane shit I've seen happened in your van. Oh, well, what was yeah, that? Your I fourth mean- van. Yeah, we had a few of them. Um, it still is somewhere. But a lot of times, like a lo- the early tours, we would share buses with other bands. And that's like, you, we would, the, the craziest shit I ever saw, I'm not going to give in, it was the tour that we did where we shared a bus with the band Homegrown <laughs> back in 2003. The, the kings Those of pop themselves. Awesome. Exactly. I, would, I won't tell any of the stories because like, it's not good to do that, but um, wild shit was was happening on everyday occasion um i mean you got a man named johnny trash in your band you're gonna get into some shit you know john tran john trash tran um yeah no those guys are great but i would um i would walk in see some wild stuff and just go excuse me scoot by it grab my phone charging in the bunk and be out and then come back for for bedtime (laughs) it was uh, i was truly a prisoner would you say Would you say that whole experience really just turned your world upside down? Like inverted it? <laughs> no, no, no. Is I this, had to try. I had to is, try. No. is this going to be... All right, so That's my the, bit. We've, we've, this is like the fourth episode we recorded, and Andrew's already weaseled himself into a bit where he tries to to like crowbar the album name into a transition like way too early in the podcast. I'm not it ready. I'm actually because... not ready to transition yet, though. Okay. okay. Well, it's also the era that it's like that record more or less came right. out, and 
this was like I bought. I had the biggest iPod, like the the second gen with the four oh, buttons yeah. up top, the big old thick one. And I would just that would be where I would exist. You know, I'm on the, these tours with you know music that I didn't really listen to, and then I would go and I listen to like Vespertine and just be like. <laughs> I'm going to get through another day. I'll make it through another day. And I, I did I was, that for about 16 years. I was a little <laughs> bummed that you didn't choose uh, Bjork album. I was kind of excited for that. It was, was on the short going, list, but it was, it's, I feel like I'm not the, I'm not, there's, it's harder to like understand what's happening in those records. You know, I can be like, this one sounds crazy, but like, I don't have anything to say about it right. other yeah. than that. Like you, they're amazing. But, you know, the shins or like a indie rock record is something where I'm like, that's why that it sounds like that. Or yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Like, Bjork as a career is performance art. Oh yeah, and there's I mean, just she's a true no, artist. There's no fucking way to unpack thirty five years of like it's just impossible. The, no, artist, the only thing you can do is you can compare her work to her previous or later work. Right, which yeah. is unfair. But where she sits in like the musical lexicon of any time that she's been active is always on her own. So it's really hard to say. You can say who's been influenced by Bjork quite sure. easily. You know, that's easy. But where did she come from? Who the fuck knows? Um, and like, what did, why did she do this thing she did? It, it's, it's too hard is to she kind in, of bring down to earth. Is she in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I haven't been in years. Actually, Ben's there today. He posted yeah, photos from there. But like, do um, you know? Is she? I would. Have you heard rock and roll? Um, yeah, of course. There's Come a, on. How how stringent are they on those rules over there? Uh, there's a. I would say, saying that what she does isn't rock and roll is like a disservice to the art she makes. I, I mean, she was certainly in rock bands. I mean, right. I went to the um, the museum of what is it? The Museum of Punk in Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. It's in a oh. bathroom. Amazing. It's in a public bath. It's in the first public bathroom that is no longer used for a, a restroom. Uh, and she's certainly in that. Oh, and, okay. uh, but that makes sense. I'd say uh, there's like six good. bands from, from uh, <laughs> Iceland that they could have chosen from. Was Karashi yeah. in there? Remember the band Karashi? I don't know. I don't know if they were in there, but it's, uh, you know, they don't even show, they don't even, like, technically Bjork's not even in it. It's her previous bands not even the sugar cubes i think not even sugar cubes wow i think it was like uh that band like kukul that she Mm. did or like tappy tacaris or whatever it is like when she was like you know 14 in like these cool little art punk bands she was uh inducted into the uh hall of fame last year oh yeah that's cool so yeah pour one out for bjork so joe uh, can i ask you a couple early november questions Given sure that given that this is the twenty year anniversary of that band. Oh shit. Technically twenty one. We missed it. It was last year. Well, I'm not telling anybody. <laughs> I think yeah. the yeah, it doesn't Our count. tens of listeners aren't gonna know. So uh, I think you're being you, generous with that. You one. were the most famous person <laughs> I knew when I was nineteen. <laughs> Right. Wait, wait. What 20? about what about Dickie Barrett, who you talked about no, in the other episode? That's, just because I saw that's the first celebrity I ever saw in real life. Um, what a crazy yeah, a what a stretch. We, how old? Fame. How old were you when you wrote "Rooms Too Cold"? Mm, I think twenty. 
Do you look back yeah. now and you're like, that's fucking insane that half my life ago I wrote like a, a meaningful record or like had a part in writing something that is like, that's like a fully formed of that, of that era. That's one of the, you know, important ones. Like I would say it was drive through records Vespertine. Right. If you, when you look back, well. are you like, how the fuck did I do that when I was 20 years old? No, because when you peek behind the curtain, you realize that nobody knew what they were doing. And when we had to go back and like went for the 10 year anniversary of that record, which feels so recent, but really was nine. Oh, it's a, uh, cause that record's going to be 20 next year. Right. <laughs> so, so the, it was in 2013 when we had to go back and relearn it, we were listening to like, you know, really listening to the record and being and me and Ace realized on so many songs, he and I are not playing even remotely what we should have been playing or like what we <laughs> learned to play later. So there's, but there, this actually is a segue, but I'll, I'll pin it, but we knew just enough to make something filled with mistakes and like happy accidents that I think added character and something that the other band or not the other bands, but something that wasn't kind of heard as, as often at that time, our producer, we t- recorded the tape. We didn't really do a whole lot of production. You know, it was just like go in there and play exactly how we did it in the, in the basement. It wasn't to a click. So that record is all over the place. Um, Jeff never really knew how to play the drums as a rock drummer would play he just kind of played it and he did a lot of things that are unorthodox so i do think no we had no idea what we were making i still listen to it now and i'm a, it's a little hard to listen to but i'm proud of our willingness to experiment because we didn't know we couldn't you know we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> you saying that like recording it exactly how you played it is another fucking insane thing too because the production on that record i think like defined a lot of stuff that came after it there's a lot of there's a lot of bands that did that that uh i i think wouldn't have otherwise i mean, maybe i mean we were just trying to do I really, not that I didn't want to record with Chris Badami, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but I really wanted to make um, like a Jay Robbins record, you know, like something that was, or, or Ed Rose, you know, something mm-hmm. that was just no frills, like make it sound good, but, um, you know, hear the amps, you know, like I would, I would kind of, uh, you know, you, you know, Andrew, I was like very into the Promise Ring and Jets to Brazil. Sure. And, uh, records where you can really hear like the, the, the amps and the room, the amps are in and that kind of, um, you know, just, it sounds real and, and alive. And at that, and we were coming out at the era where everybody was getting really slick, sure. you know, like, um, Oh yeah. What is the dude from, what is the dude from? Yeah. But what is that dude's name from John Feldman? Like John Feldman was like right. the big name in production at that time Yeah, from, from Goldfinger, and he was making like the U's were making these like spotless, clean, really, really like in Finch, these really like pristine sounding records. And 
I think that those records, the, his production certainly is effective, but you know, we were kind of just more into like, you know, what Jade Tree bands were doing. Well, and, it's kind um, of the, the even to the you know kind of that fork in the road a lot of people made at that time when Pro Tools like really became prevalent and like easy to own and everything either like went more analog or and like you know kind of that guitar music side versus kind of the new metal production that kind of defined that whole genre of like overly produced yeah, we, wa- and we wanted click drums we went and, out of our way to make things more difficult i think because it, there was some i don't know thought process in that like you should work you should have to work for it a little bit you know like you should have to play the part a hundred times and get it as good as you can. And the best take might have a flub here or there, but like that's where the, the character lies in it. Um, and there's like a part, and this isn't like a, I'm not saying that it's a clever part, but there's just like this, that song mountain range in my living room that has mm-hmm. like this effect on it. And I, re- it's like this tremolo effect, but it's not because Right, uh, we we didn't play. You were clip, doing it with like your obs- volume pedal with your over. foot. Oh it's shit! Just, yeah, blew and my I remember fucking playing mind it and then being like, that. "Oh, let's." Yeah, they were just like, "Let's you know set the tremolo pedal," and I was like, "I I used one pedal." Well, two, a volume pedal and the rat pedal because that's what jimmy and i was like okay you know just do it do it literally manually you know like that was the way we would do it and uh, that's still the only way that sounds right that's the only way that that part will work um at least that i know and i don't know how to use amps so maybe or guitar (laughs) effects so yeah i think that also comes down to like choosing the right producer and like right engineers like people who will push you in that direction or get you to try new things or try different effects and i think it really makes a big difference when it comes to like the final product like because a lot of times you know people i mean i'm i'm not someone who's ever recorded personally with uh you know a band myself but i've been with bands while they're recording and just the idea of you know a producer pushing you to try something new or or even just to do it better like having that person who's outside of the band and kind of like a third you know someone looking in can kind of give a unique perspective to to something like that. And I think it, it like choosing a right producer is, yeah. is really important. Chris was really great to work with because he was encouraging, but he wouldn't, you know, he would also make sure you're getting the right takes and, and be, but in a really gentle way. And he was also, I remember one time we went to like whatever the local community college was, and just to kind of like kitchen sink the record a little bit, be like, okay, here's the xylophone. Let's put it on something. Here's timpani. Let's put it on something. You know, all the strings are real. Everything is real. And it's like, here's, um, you know, an old organ. Let's put it on, like, just put it somewhere. Because that was also the era of, you know, Saddle Creek Records, who were like these, you know, genius thrift store instrument, you know, hunters, where you would just hear instruments you've never heard before like calliopes and stuff on recordings. Yeah. And, you know, that was like a really, that was a really fun era, I think of music because, um, I don't know. It, it was like, a, this, it was a really, it was, it was, you could experiment, but you can be rewarded for your ambition. I think that was interesting where like bands who took chances were kind of being rewarded for it as being like talking points. You know, they, 
bands like the polyphonic spree were existing just by being ambitious not that they're great or anything but like you know bands like the like the format were putting out these baroque pop records oh yeah who were previously known as like an, an emo band you know like it's it's it was it was a cool time to be around really because you had everything was kind of firing on all cylinders it was um you know kind of a bit of a small bit of a gold rush for that genre of music oh yeah i mean so, i was a big you know, big fan of drive through in that era and it was you know everyone's first record kind of all followed a bit of a formula and there were bands that just continued that formula for the rest of their career but then it was really cool to see a lot of the other bands like put out you know, experiment more or try to like expand on the genre or get beyond that kind of pigeonhole of, of what drive through records was for, for a time. And I think. So, going, speaking Andrew? of, speaking of drive through records, Joe, who was your favorite drive through band and why is it an angle? It's definitely not an angle. Although <laughs> they were ex- certainly experimenting. That, um, you that, know, that, I, that, I listened to that record recently and I was like, Fuck that guy. This is still kind of good. Um, I've never, I've only can re, re even recall one or two songs of theirs. Um, but I Angel from to them. Dirty Projectors was in that band, you know, like no. they had talent. They, yeah, Angel from Dirty Projectors was in that band in the video, you know, that, that's that they were some real deal folks. Um, honestly, my favorite drive through record, and I don't have like, I was not that big of a fan of the of the label going into it. I was more of like a J tree saddle Creek deep elm fan. Um, but I always really like that first midtown record. I just think it's like fun oh, yeah. through and through. Um, so yeah, I will say that that's still, I think the best record that my favorite, well, that right. my favorite record of, that that label put out. I think if I had to, if I had to say, like Mother Mechanic is probably my favorite record that that was on that label, but close second is a uh, um, movie life forty hour train back to Penn. It's a good. It's a that good record one. is fun. fucking. That record is a band who is like in a in a really constricting genre, who like found a way to make a really great like genre masterpiece record within like really strict confines i think without a record like that you wouldn't have had that kind of late like 2009 2010 pop punk like like return to like that style of pop punk that fireworks and the one biggers were doing early on and i think that was like a really cleansing thing that started happening because pre 2009 pop punk it was really neon and it was you know oh, yeah. it got really <laughs> All in its own way wild, you know and then wild yeah and then that was as the the death nail of that was like literally like the wonder years putting out you know probably i guess probably the right. upsides and then fireworks putting out um you know their i guess second gospel? LP. you know gospel? like whatever, whatever it was exactly no gospel was third uh, and came out a bit Vomiget- later yeah, um, yeah, that one. That record's so good. It was just it really. Yeah, is. Just like gospel, this I think, is incredible to like, too. You know, those bands had far more in common with the movie life and Fairweather than they did, right? 
Man. stereo skyline and whatever oh, else was happening I, at that time i knew the guys in stereo skyline i have their original demo when they were like a screamo band and then they like turned the corner and decided to go yeah i'm not even thousand sure why I said that band name. <laughs> long island natives uh but yeah they they turned the they like got a whiff of money and then immediately went the most bubblegum pop of all time <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even like totally sure what that band was. I just know there was an era where there was like, a lot of that. And I don't really even have anything bad to say about it. It was just that era of pop punk did not rec- did not resemble the one that I grew up on. Yeah, um, God, so it was think, nice to see the one that I grew up on come back. Yeah, no, I, I really think like kind of like you said, that pivoting point of even just recording styles is the the overly produced pop punk record where everything is like quantized perfectly. All the drums are like, like triggered, you know, and uh, it's it really did it. It took it away from being like rock music and put it more into like almost like computer music in a way. Just like we have all these all these magic tricks in Pro Tools now. Let's just use them all. And I mean that's also the same thing with like like that era too. Also went into like dance punk, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Head Automatica, obviously, were kind of at the front of that, but you had, a, like, Men, Women, and Children were, like, another kind of Head Automatica ripoff, uh, and it was, it kind of went in that weird direction, like, in the later part of the aughts. And it I was, don't think... I mean, you had, like, Cobra Starship, you know? Oh, like, you, yeah. There was some stuff that was getting out of control. That was, um, like, so far out of the records that I was paying attention to at the time. Yeah. That it's I, crazy like, that... Gabe Supporter got so popular as he did with Co- I I bumped into him at a Grammys party in New York. I was photographing, and no one knew the fuck he like. He's like killing it now as a manager. He does great. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's. I mean, that seems to be the pipeline, right? I mean, he's he's always been. He's a smart guy. His he's always been a smart dude. I barely know him, and I, he, I you know I can't even claim to say that I know him at all, but. You know, I've certainly been in the same room with him a number of times. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like he knew what he was doing, just like the dudes in 303 knew what they were doing. You know, like oh, they God. were they were in other bands and they knew what they knew what they were doing by making this like pretty formulaic kind of, you know, silly dance pop. Punk. Oh, yeah. And it paid off, you know. And, and Oh, yeah good on them really <laughs> yeah i remember uh my old band played with the brother of the guy in 303's old uh band called grayscale which is a great record but uh Ooh. but yeah and then they did a, a fake kind of like joke hip-hop song and then that became 303 <laughs> it was just like wild yeah. but yeah that's it's the same era of like oh god like seosin did that like joke show me your booty hole song it was a, a dark time that's why that one went that, that one was not one i was uh, aware of <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but it was like a lot of joke bands at that time a lot of joke bands but i say i have one other drive-through question uh <laughs> and this is one i've been waiting to ask you for a while and i didn't think uh andrew's wedding was the place to bring it up so <laughs> holy shit during, second uh, wedding, also second wedding. <laughs> I wasn't the first I was one. Not the first one. <laughs> You're not OG. <laughs> <laughs> I was at both of them. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, man. Uh, yeah, no. So then, um, what was it? Oh, yeah. So in one of the, I, I, for, I think it's in the first drive through Records DVD. Uh, I forget what, you might have been recording Rooms Too Cold, actually. And someone ordered a stripper to the, to the recording yeah. studio. And after the stripper yeah, left, the did, that. did the, the label did that? Yeah, they thought it would be funny to like do that because we because Ace and I were very like not into that. Yeah, you know, like and like we they knew we'd be uncomfortable. Oh, cool! (laughs) So they did that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I mean, maybe if you ask them, their logic would be different. But they were like, "We need content for the DVD." Really, no. (laughs) We need DVD content. There was no reason to do it. They sent this like filmer out to just be there, and we were like, "All right, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. The label's paying for it, so whatever." And then this this uh, stripper comes, and like I don't, I haven't ever watched those drive-through DVDs because I can't watch myself on anything. I'm just way too self-conscious. But yeah. I don't. I remember that happening, and I also remember leaving and not watching it, like not being around for it. As soon as like I saw what was going on, I was like. Yeah, Don't I mean, it's, so that's that's a run into the ground exclusive that the the drive through records DVDs are not documentaries. There is some manufactured footage in there. Oh, they were <laughs> they're they going to get their, on the whole drive through tour. They're going to get their pulitzer they were taken trying away. To, like, instigate people to do things. <laughs> they were like always being like like trying to get. It was like jackass. They were like, oh trying yeah, to well get that was also like shit. The same time, yeah, of of uh yeah jackass, and then. I'm so mad. When I worked with Fall Out Boy, I didn't ask Pete Wentz about Release the Bats. Remember that DVD that they put out? Of, like, Pete Wentz drinking his own piss. And, like, doing full-on jackass stuff. Like, macing themselves and, like, you know, like, shooting paintballs at each other on the streets of Chicago. And it's it was so bizarre to even... Like, I have a copy of it somewhere. It's gotta be, like, worth something. Because it's so wild. They would always try to get us to do stuff, and I would never play along with it, and they'd be like, you're no fun, get out of the way. And I was like, no problem. Like, <laughs> but, you know, c- well, certain people... C- certain people in my band would really... Do, like, Sergio or Jeff would, would have fun with it, but, like, Buddy from Census Fail at the time was, like, kind of like the, the one of the stars and Randy from Finch would like do all this wild shit. Oh yeah. But yeah. I just had no interest in like, I Hand just didn't up. understand what we had. What, what, it, what was the point? Yeah. We're, we give, we make music. We don't need to like also be, you know, prank. Did you almost get kicked off warp tour once? Uh, for, uh, no, we got in trouble a bunch. Um, <laughs> We always got it. Either early November got in trouble a bunch, but Hello Goodbye would get in trouble all the time. Um, well, yeah, because we just didn't like Forrest, respect the Forrest tour. has yeah, Forrest has zero uh, care about time or anything. <laughs> well, He's we also, honestly like, we, were, we were asked to do it in 2011. That's and too we late. were just like sure, yeah, we're like we'll do it, but we only did half, and they we just clearly didn't respect the tour. And didn't care if they were like punishing us. We did we, you know, <laughs> it didn't matter. We were playing bocce ball a lot and would get in trouble for like kind of just like breaking through security lines just to like play, you know? And also like drinking. We were drinking, um, the drink of that tour was um us and moving mountains were like best friends and the mo and the wonder years before we met the wonder years, or like really hung out with them. Those three bands hung out the entire tour and we would all just drink 
all day long Tom Collins (laughs) (laughs) lemonade and gin (laughs) and just be like like lightly day drunk all day and just kind of goof on the whole tour you know and then years later Soupy got in this like you know fight with Kevin Lyman real public fight you know Um, oh I remember that was uh, respected the tour. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was the year I actually worked with the Wonder Years. I did like an alternative press, like day in the life of shoot for them, and that was the the year where they were like the all the bands were like selling like sexually explicit merch, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Hey, like trade in any of those shirts, and we'll give you like a free shirt in exchange." And it became yeah, this big thing. He was calling either, out. There were some other. It was like a noble yeah. thing. There was like but, suck my suck my fuck shirts and shit, yeah. you know, like this. And they're like going, they're like these people in the parking lot trying to like get teenagers to buy it. Yeah, and no, exactly. Being, it was a, just being like gross and like, yeah, that tour is like a nightmare. Uh, well, that was the <laughs> stuff that Warped Tour was always in hot water for anyway, you know. Dan, yeah. The uh, but so I I need to backtrack real quick so you don't think I brought up the stripper thing is like a just a weird gotcha moment. The whole reason I brought it up is because oh, yeah. there was uh, it's it's stuck with me for most of my life. After the stripper leaves, I don't know if you were involved. I don't remember exactly who, but they uh proceeded to then smell the couch <laughs> until the smell went away. <laughs> Because the idea was that smells I'm are a finite sure it's Jeff and Serge. Okay. These smells were a finite particle that once you smell them, they disappear. So then to remove the smell of stripper, you must smell it all until <laughs> until the smell is gone. Honestly, I do remember this. It was one hundred percent not me. Okay. Uh, but but to in Order, but also, I wouldn't be totally surprised if they weren't kind of pushed to do something silly after the fact. So I'm not I'm not giving them an out, but I someone, would say that they were those camera people were constantly doing that shit. Just someone handing like a a peered review study on the the science of smells. It's like, hey, if you smell it enough, the smell will go yeah. away. Man, that's just their world also, turned upside down. <laughs> Inverted, you might say. And we're back. Do you know how long it took me to come up with that, by the way? What? Just I can't I mean you're just reiterating the title of the album. I can't. Yeah, I would hope I hope less than half a second. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was longer than it should have been. You were sitting very you were staring at the ceiling for moments while we were talking just there. That's what you were cooking up. This was actually earlier and I practiced it out loud. Just to make sure. (laughs) We haven't talked about the record. We haven't talked about the record once yet, and it's been fifty two minutes. (laughs) Fifty (laughs) two? It's not been fifty two, <laughs> yeah. but oh, we've been, been on 40. here for anyway. But uh, no, I, yeah, I hope okay, you're. So pra- I hope you're practicing these lines with your wife, being like, "Hey, like at dinner, like, hey, so like if I just like say, oh, oh, it's like the world is upside down. That's a good way to like say that the record, right? Do I sound like a mix between Beavis and Butthead? Because that's what <laughs> <Yes>. you just did <laughs> when you talk to your wife. You do. That's what she All hears. Right. Okay, that's true. So. Let's talk about ex-Flake music member James Mercer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so today today was the first day I ever listened to Flake music, by the way. And I've never listened to it. It's the... What was the... There's one song that's got like over 2 million plays. Um, and it's called... 
Spanway hits. So I assume that was like a it got synced to something or something. It's like two and a half million listens is insane. But if you listen to that song, it sounds like the shins, but like not recorded in the basement. Mm-hmm. He talks about that a little bit on his, his episode of Song Exploder. Right. Friend of the pod, um, uh, Richie Caseyway. Yeah, sure. <laughs> friend of yours. <laughs> um, I never really listened to flake music, but I I like to think that there's some songs on O Inverted World that could have been flake music songs because he says they were more of like a traditional indie band, right. like a rock band. And there's songs on that record that like want to be rock songs, but they prevent them from rocking too hard, which is, I just think the coolest thing in the world. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like uh, the, that record. I mean, the later stuff is different, but that record specifically, if you've ever listened to anybody try to cover one of those songs, like it's impossible. Those songs only exist in that, in that style recorded in that way. Well, that's what I was mentioning with why, again, it's not really a parallel, but like the early November, not really knowing what we were doing, I think allowed us to create more freely and also make mistakes that were cool and characteristic of that, al- that album. And in that, that song exploder, he, he really says, he's like, I bought cool edit pro, you know, and like, <laughs> that did, was yeah. the program he yeah. used to make that record. And he said, I had an SM57 and I was just making demos, you know, like, and there's all these little anecdotes on that episode where he's talking about, you know, the, the baseline to new slang that he, the guy moved away who wrote it. And this is before where you can just be like, Hey, will you record it and send it back to me? And I'll just plop it into pro tools. So he had to like learn it on a Casio tone, you know, and then tuck that into a real bass track once he had it. And it's, you know, you're making, these are, you know just enough to like effectively do what you want to do, but you don't know enough to like uh, to like you don't know enough to be dangerous to yourself to where like you might know how to get an intended effect. This there might be a button that a preset that does it. Hit that button, it'll give you that effect. But if you don't know that exists, you have to like find some other way to do it, which makes for far more interesting results right and you're and the performance is is different the performance is 100 yeah. percent different when you when you're doing something in real time you know when you're That's doing what, something like I think, you put an sm57 like in a in a tennis ball can and then like play a guitar next to it you know what i mean like you don't do that yeah, stuff it, there's a there's a plug-in for that now yeah you go to a you know you you make what you have work um, and you find all sorts of ways to get your desired effect or your desired outcome, um, that otherwise could be done. Somebody could just tell you, Oh, here's a shortcut to do it. Right. But you're not going to find all the weird stuff along the way. If you take that shortcut, which is what I think is just littered all over that record. 100%. Among, and I, and I think that's also, it's like, not to think that, not to say that none of them are good, but like they're all, none of them are great at what they're playing which I think allow, or even singing, which I think allows it to be charming and endearing. It's cool. It's a weird, the, the production style and the performances are so reserved. And I don't know if it's because 
that's just the nature of James Mercer himself or, you know, if that was a stylistic decision. But like in my head, it reads as like, like adorable hesitation. Like there's so much character. He seems shy. Right. And And I don't know if he is, but something in that record is so delicate that makes me feel like, yeah. Like, yeah, they're it, not 100% they, sure. So, it, it's been interesting, like, even a couple episodes into doing this podcast, of, like, this is stuff I've heard for, you know, decades now. Some of these albums we've talked about, and have listened to endless times, and then now listening with, like, a critical ear and, like, taking notes in some parts, I've, you know, I didn't even realize that he was the only one on this record, like, until I listened to that song, Exploder. And I always, you know, I was thought of the shins as a group and this wasn't necessarily like a solo kind of thing uh but yeah i think there was a drummer of flake music ended up in the shins and that's the only other dude on it yeah but that was like at the time he was like i'm putting a record together i just need someone to play drums on it so like you know you know i mean very typical for a drummer to be in a band called flake you know what i mean but uh like the drum performances are weird and unorthodox yeah, I think that record is a really cool sum of its parts, um, where it's like just psychedelic enough to be. That's a good point. Yeah. psychedelic. Yeah, it is. And it, it has a surrealness to folky. it. Folky. Yeah, there's like weird swirling noises. There's, there's that third song on the record that is just like, you know, meandering like harmony stuff. There's even like little country western elements, especially mm-hmm. a new slang, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's enough folk, there's enough twee, there's all these things. There's enough like almost indie rock, but hesitant indie rock. It's yeah. like how like um like the glow part two by the microphones like just couldn't work any other way, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like some of its parts. And it, I've been listening to I read to listen to the record about three times in the past couple of days just to like re- refresh myself with it um and it really is just like there's it, it it's this beautiful album with these great standout songs um and you can hear elements of like future shins music on it especially with um like girl remind me i think it what it is, yeah. is that song or um you know there's songs where you're like oh this is where they're headed with uh shoots to narrow which is probably in my opinion, their best record. hundred percent. That's really, I, that's I was really, gonna say they're, that, they're really the yeah. kind of, I think that's my record but too. Is it as interesting? Right. I don't know. It's that's like the songs point. are better or at least like they're recorded better and all this stuff. But something about Oh Inverted World, especially for when it came out was like, it didn't really feel right in its time. It was like, wow, what's there's some beach boys production on here, but there's also some Elliot Smith production on here. Um, and it wasn't like the Strokes, which was half, which was like the band or yeah. Jimmy World, you know, like it was just like in its own galaxy. And then I think the explosion of bands that kind of came out of that. Yeah, definitely. Also, like worth commenting on. Like, yeah, I don't think I... there would be a lot of. Um, and I'm trying to think of like exact examples of like these kind of recording project bands, these little bands that made these great, beautiful albums. So here's uh, something that came out around that time, which was a record that you and I listened to an awful lot while doing like the worst shit human beings could possibly do. But those early 
Montreal of Montreal records. Like Coakley Co. Yeah. Sleep in the Poppies, Gay Parade, like Horse and Elephant records. Eatery. Those records were all you know, I, I, I don't know that they're ne- they necessarily influenced each other because they came out like sort of simultaneously, but you know, there's definitely like a cut from the same cloth. Like definitely in two different directions, but they're both like bedroom pop heavy before that was like a production style, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean Nutramilk Hotel put out, you know, in the airplane, what, three years before right. Owen Verdict World came out, which three years after that record it was not the record it is now. It was still right. kind of an unknown record. Yeah. You know? Do you care and about like, that record still? Do you put it on? Yes, I think it's I think it's great. I still think it's great. I thought about mentioning that one, but I was like, what more could be said about that right. record? I think it's a great record that just has this lore about it that is uh, unfortunate for itself. Um, it kind of takes away from the actual can't. artistry. I, I think it's a great record, too, and it's something I've like grown to appreciate more and more. As I've gotten older, I think I think I love that record because I I don't I think I never would have listened to Beulah otherwise, or like you know. But I just can't the um, the Urban Outfitters crowd ruined. Yeah, but ignore them. But you can't. This you can't. reminds me. It becomes music you- for for people who you know. And I I really don't you know. Art is for everybody, and that's not what I'm saying, but. I think that there's an element of that record that lends itself to like it's so stylistic in a way that O oh, Inverted World isn't. It's so yeah. stylistic that it gives itself and actually that same crowd because of Garden State like that same crowd picked up on this record. Yeah, so I, I, I guess the, the same fan base. Thing. It's a shame that <sighs> Now, I don't think the Shins would have the career they've had without that scene and that movie. Well, that movie and specifically that scene. But it's a real shame because that it had this. If they would have just used that song in the soundtrack at that moment, but didn't say, "What are you listening to?" Right. Uh, The Shins. Right. uh, You know, if they didn't have that line, because there's far more embarrassing lines. (laughs) Yeah. But it, it, I think well, it's a testament to how good that song is because it can, and I listen to it and like that step scene is a meme before there was even memes. Right. And now it's a meme again. Yep. And I listen to that song and you're like, no, it's still a fucking great song yeah. with weird lyrics that are just weird enough with a great vocal. It's great. It's better than the scene. It's better than it's, uh, well, than the shit it got. That was kind of an interesting question. Like, was there a previous relationship between the Shins and Zach Braff to be like, oh, I want to wow. mention this band by name in the movie as canon? Like, you know, here's I don't think Zach Braff was the one driving the ship on that. Like, I think somebody found that song for him. I don't think, think? he's that deep. Yeah, I, don't, I, think I, just, was, I think he listened to good music at that time because I think he had a lot to do with what was on Scrubs. And I think Scrubs always had good musical direction. Hmm. Interesting, but I don't know the story. I don't know, but I yeah, no, I, they, that was something that just popped and, into my head because when you said like it really def- like may have been the reason they blew up as much as they did, like because Zach I mean, Braff those... mentioned them directly in a movie that like defined a generation. <laughs> yeah, that, that movie... vocal, that that oohs and ahs, that vocal thing is really haunting. It would have been just as as effective in that scene to not say it. Yeah, but he said it. 
And for better, I mean, for better, I'm sure James Mercer talks about it briefly. He's just like, you know, if that's all we ever got, like, I'm happy to be it. I'm happy to have it because I'm proud of this song. And like, it's good by me. And I, I agree. I think that song still is like, you know, it's not so iconic that, that, that movie is its only reference point to, you know, pop culture. Yeah. You know, it lives on that record and and it works. I, I think this, this album kind of ties a lot up. Like, I mean, obviously I enjoyed garden state when it came out. Uh, and I was dating a woman, uh, like a little later on who was very much into this, like style of music, like very much into like, you know, uh, Peter Bjorn and John Decemberist coconut records. I think it's like the good idea of like that, that kind of twee bedroom style, like solo project kind of things. And it, it did kind of open the doors for a lot of things, but I actually like way before we even thought about doing this podcast, like a few months ago, went back on like a shins, uh, like revisit and was kind of listening to stuff. Cause I'd always like the only re- two records I really listened to from the shins, like at the time were this record and shoots too narrow. And it was always like what I had downloaded from Kazaa at the time, you know? So like it was kind of a compilation of things. So listening to this for the first, like not for the first time, but listening to it critically for the first time, I really kind of like, obviously the hits of the hits, you know, but Girl on a Wing was a song I, like, hated the first time I listened to it. And then listening to it now, I'm like, oh, this might be, like, one of my favorite songs on the record. Like, it's the synth was so off-putting. And then it kind of found this charm after a few listens that uh, I, th- I think I really, like, started to enjoy. Because it is, like, a weird, like, point in the record. It's, it's, it's a weird kind of sidetrack in terms of, like, how it sounds. And I then... Wanna- uh, Pressed yeah, in a book is the other one that really like stood out to me that I really really enjoyed. I want to talk about where this record fits into like their discography as a whole, but before that, like your recent re-listening within the past week, what was the one takeaway that was like a new a new experience for this record? That's a good question. Are you, are you asking me you, or are you asking Joe? No, I'm, I'm asking both of you. Because okay. I'll tell you mine. Um, I never... This is this is a record that I sang along to, but I have no fucking clue what I was singing. Oh, I was looking yeah. at these lyrics, and I'm like, I didn't know... I had no idea what he was saying. And it made me think, like, what, was I just making sounds when I was singing along with this record? You're like, just, yeah, you're just singing the melody, you know? It's one of the few records where you you look at the lyrics and it doesn't feel like for it it it's poetry but it doesn't feel forced like it's you know i i actually took a note that the lyrics are like fairly abstract but only in their reference points like the sentences obviously make sense he's not singing some like late era bob dylan song or something like it's it's but they're there are references to things that you don't like that are very mundane, but also beautifully worded. Like the one song I forget which one exactly talks about, like, oh, we'll like fill our pockets with rocks and like yeah. drop them places that they weren't before. <laughs> like that's not something personally that I would ever think to like put onto paper, you know? And yeah, one uh, by one all day is about snails. Who knew? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. But uh, well, like they're really, very ethereal. The song where he says. There's like a lot of, I love the lyrics on this record because again, I think it's like, 
you know, he, as their catalog goes on, their lyrics become far more kind of like straightforward and makes sense for lack of a better term. Like but their famous this, song, I'm never going to wipe my butt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a, like a lot of these lyrics will give you, I feel like they give you the scene, but they don't fill in all the details or the, or the, or give you the script. They say, here's the scene. Yeah. You know what's going to be said, but you have to piece together the, the, the in my sentence, what I'm trying to get across is this, but I'm not going to give you the dialogue. I'm going to let you figure that out. So like, you know, again, to use, you know, uh, new slang, you know, uh, I'll rejoice from my, uh, and I'll jump from my tree, like the queen of the eyesores and the rest of our lives will fare thee well. You know, you're like, okay, <laughs> those are a bunch of words, but together you can get the tone that they're trying what he's trying to say, or at least what you think he's trying to say. And then on that song exploder, he explains what it's about. And you're like, Hmm. Oh yeah. I I love the line where he talks about, uh, like being jealous of that woman who worked at a bakery because her band was better. (laughs) But uh, I was just like, I I was like, why would you write that? You know? And then I love the, um, you know, uh, the dirt in your fries. I think the lyrics don't take themselves. It's, 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 to me, it feels pretty high art. That's a gross sounding thing, but it doesn't feel very, you know, low. But it also doesn't take itself too seriously. It's yeah. having fun, the dirt in your fries. He does like the call and response to himself, I think, in Know Your Onion. You know, tell me, where would you go? Right. You're allergic to love. And then he goes, Yes, I know. And like, I love that he's doing a call and response There's... to himself. I think it's just so much fun um, yeah. in a record that sounds sometimes fun, but also really intimate and sweet. Yeah. I- I mean, I love the, and this is like, again, same, same thing that Andrew mentioned. Like I never really listened to this. Like I actually love the Spotify feature where you can like the lyrics play in sync with the, the words. I think that's incredible, especially for something like this. And, uh, yeah, like gold teeth and a curse for this town. were all in my mouth. It's such like an insane line. Such a fucking insane And then thing. in, um, caring is creepy. One day I'll be wondering how I got so old just wondering how is like fucking incre- like incredible. So you Joe you mentioned the call and response on know your onion and that entire song like when I when I was reading the lyrics along with listening to the song I just kept thinking about Bell and Sebastian. It's such a bell it's such a Bell and Sebastian song unintentionally but like it's sort of yeah, playful yeah, I- but Demure. I feel like I was gonna. I was obviously gonna talk about a Bell and Sebastian record, but I feel like I've done that already. You did Not do that, that I've done already. That many of these. I I did it with the Buddies podcast, but like, um, you know that band. I can't imagine. I feel like the Shins. Maybe I just wasn't around enough, but I feel like until this record came out, there was no one better to look at as far as like who was doing this style of music better than Bell and Sebastian at that time. Right. And they were still riding pretty high, but as they were getting more and more mainstream, you know, not mainstream, but more and more kind of like straightforward music with big budgets and doing like big Baroque arrangements, the shins come out of Albuquerque with a piece of shit recording. (laughs) That is just so weird and cool. Um, The only thing I can liken it to is it's a less emo scene that was happening in Omaha where all those people were just making these thrift store bedroom albums with found instruments and yeah where they skewed more emo and where the where bell and sebastian skewed more twee and where 
the shin skewed more, maybe slightly psychedelic, maybe a little more, you know, cerebral. They were all just kind of doing the same. They were all playing in the same, you know, the same sport, just in different leagues, I guess. Well, when I think about, when I think about this record in particular, uh, I was thinking about production style because, you know, intentional or not, there's a really specific sound to this record. But if I were to try to make this record in the style, production style of something else, I think if this record would have been, like if the Shins would have been a Toronto band um, existing in the same world as Broken Social Scene, that would have made such, like an effect, still effective record, but just so insane. Yeah. You know who I think did that is the first Feist record. I think that first album that she did is very similar sonically and even like, this it doesn't feel like a record at first you're just like these are just moods and, right. and like scenes variations on a you, theme <laughs> sure um a tone but poem. You, it starts it starts to get there you you're know it's on um, words now <laughs> poem poem you watch that documentary no marianne no Good. i just remembered uh a friend of the pod lena dunham uh, referring to her show <laughs> Girls as a tone poem to millennials. Oh, tone poem. I thought you said Cohen poem. Uh, <laughs> Leonard Cohen. No. <laughs> but, talk about uh, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> let's talk about Lena Dunham. That's my pick of the two. Uh, well, so speaking of Lena Dunham, uh, no, I was, uh, I was saying, I was trying to think of what other bands in my, like, sphere that i could think of off the top of my head were active during this time in like the southwest that's not where i think of most music to come from like i know what a california scene's like i know what the new york scene's like i know even like chicago or even fucking like gainesville but like what is the music scene of of uh the the american southwest because like it depends like the format was kind of around this time right and they're Arizona. Mm-hmm. Jimmy World, also Arizona. You know, this guy uh, making this shit in New Mexico, you know. No, nah, Modest Mouse. Right. I think oh. kicked it all off down there in Albuquerque with their their earliest. I think for some reason, everyone who left Albuquerque went to Portland as a Modest Mouse, or they went to the Pacific Northwest because it's mm-hmm. the most opposite of True. Albuquerque. But um, the Modest Mouse was probably the the most notable band, I think, out of New Mexico. Okay, I know very little about Modest in Mouse. In the so. mid-90s. For some reason, I, mean, I, thought, he, I thought he grew up in Issaquah. They, I, they lived down there. I gotta look it up real uh, Okay, because I thought Isaac oh. Brock was, like, born in Issaquah, Washington. I've watched that, uh, that Pitchfork classic albums on, um, on Lonesome Crowded West a thousand times. Yeah, they never clicked for me. I don't know. Modest Mouse? Yeah. Man, I'm in up until the moon in Antarctica. And then I check out. You're in up until the moon in Antarctica? Yeah, yeah. The moon in Antarctica is the the last great record. Okay. You agree that it's good. Honestly, I think uh, good news for people who like bad news. That record. That record. That's that's a good record. Which is the one with Float On on it? That's that that one. one. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's. Yeah, I guess you're right, Andrew. I guess they never really did live there. I don't know why I thought they were. 
because they're fucking weirdos. That's why. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's, I, mean, I mean, I don't know if anybody's been to Albuquerque, but it's a fucking it's weird. A, it's a real fucking weird town. Place. Yeah, I everything mean, I know about it is from that Weird Al song. So, fits so the script. What, when I was living in Tucson, there was a very, very specific music scene. You know, those insular places where the closest place you could play would be Phoenix, and that's uh, you know an, an over a little a little over an hour away. Um, and I think that the scenes like that breed weird music. Um, the Bled was from there, oh, which shit. they're not okay. weird, but you know their their band before Jeremy's band before the Bled, um, like had a turntablist. Um, <laughs> Amazing, and that's and that's weird shit. Um, lots of weird screamo bands. Yeah, just a weird, but like yeah, and I feel it's like- wild. It's wild to see. You know, Joe, when you were growing up playing shows, how many shows would you play a weekend in high school? One? Yeah, not very many. Right. So to think about, you know, a scene like that where the same bands play every weekend and they have the same draw every weekend because it's the only thing to do. Why? Yeah. I mean, that was we, we talked about it on the other episode with with Mitchell, uh, just the idea of you know places would have shows and they'd have them every weekend and like the same 12 bands would play in different orders and you know like the one touring band might come through but you went because it was something to do that didn't involve like getting drunk you know <laughs> or what some people did i guess but... what was the south jersey skating rink oh e- skater's choice Scooters? no skater's skater's choice. Choice. no Scooters? i'm thinking scooters was that the place yeah. in marlton it was either that or Cherry Hill. Oh, this South thinking... Jersey specific podcast? No, <laughs> but he tries to make it South but Jersey I was, specific. But I was thinking that there were shows there every weekend, and it was just the same like eight had a lot of bands shows. in rotation. Yeah, it's I think Skater's so Choice came a little later. You talk to the Foxing guys who are from St. Louis, mm-hmm. and it's like everybody's in the same. There's like only so many musicians, right? And they're all in the same bands yeah and it's only a matter of time before like they all land in one together you know like kind of thing yeah and uh you think about places like you know lawrence kansas like a scene that supported the get up kids and coalesce and then mm -hmm. you know the anniversary after that but i mean how many how many prominent musicians can there be in a small place like that yeah, no, well, I especially think, when you had a buddy bands that were so diametrically opposed sonically, hundred percent, hundred percent. But because there were so few bands that had some sort of like-minded ideals, they hung out, and that, that was that's something that I think happened in Philadelphia and South Jersey too. But you would see bands, you would see the June Spirit and a Life Once Lost, right, on one weekend. You'd see the Early November and Forgive Her Joker. On the same <laughs> you would see <laughs> you uh, see the progress, yeah, and and, and bodies you know. bodies in the gears of the apparatus. Oh my god, see, up, up, it's down, bodies down, in the gears and, of the apparatus. A Jersey band or a Philly band? Yeah, yeah, they were oh. a South Jersey band. Are they really? Oh my god, yeah, South Jersey grind band all the time. Un- <laughs> they were unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's and and but I think that's yeah I think that's any small scene is just like there's a show and there's going to be a mix of, you know whatever local bands are around just because it's the show to play and and oh well actually I went to a show, uh, what was it oh it was at Siren Records in Doylestown, 
Which and... I just went to the first time in my life last weekend. I really? didn't go to Siren. I, I walked by it and I was in Doylestown for the first time ever. And I said, this is where Siren is? Yeah, yeah it's crazy. They used, to do, they used to do shows all the time. But there was one where I, I don't know if they got double booked or uh, or or how it actually happened but i i i saw i think it was pet symmetry uh playing with also full of hell like it was whatever tour pet symmetry was on uh with uh i forget who also played but it was them weird indie pop punk stuff and then like fucking invincible and Full of Hell and Loma Prieta, all on the same show. And somebody had this, to have had somebody a show fall apart, and they just jumped on something. I think right. that I think that's what it was, and but it was wild to see those two things happening together. I have listened to exactly oh, two of those bands. Actually, da- I think Daniel Tyler Bean was on that show too. Your Ooh, your favorite let's talk boy. About oh my god, I love him. We should get him on the podcast. That, he's he's like I, married to my friend from college. He. He is a bagel entrepreneur. We have a thing for uh, breads <laughs> with holes good. in the middle. Um, <laughs> man, that record he did. Yeah, he's he's married to my friend uh, Lauren, who I was like really close with in photo school. Nice. So, Joe, let's talk about where Owen Vernerworld sits in like the Shins discography. Also, do you go? No. Are you current with the Shins? Do you care about? Heartworms. Let me see. I listen to Heartworms. It's not very good, but it has some good moments. I really wanted to like it. Oh yeah. What I is the deal with the? I gotta the, bring it up on Spotify real quick. What's the deal with the records? Because I, I tried to also dig through like what they're up to currently, and what's like they put out a whole LP and they put out a second LP of it just says flipped in parentheses on all the songs, but I wasn't quite yeah, sure what flipped weird. meant. The, uh, remix weird yeah, versions. I, I didn't listen to it. Yeah, he. Um, but that's that's honestly that's something I hate three, about Spotify. Is now everything is a numbers game of like how many plays you can get, and now there's just so much of stuff of like bands putting out really wacky shit that kind of dilutes their catalog. Because there's like unless oh, they were trying to get out of their deal with Columbia and gave them another <laughs> record. Of the I mean that, that's very possible, but like I just see like there's a. A band I was listening to the other day that had like a B-sides record and it was two and a half hours long, like 24 songs. And it's like, no, you just want someone to put this on and fall asleep. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's why they do it. It's like why like Drake's Scorpion was like 10,000 tracks long. You're like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. Where does it sit in their discography? Pretty well. I mean, they put out three really good records right. in a row. I'm going to hand it to them. Own Inverted World. Shoots too narrow. In my opinion, they're their best. Wincing the night away, very strong. You think that's the Quite best? A, shoots too narrow, I think, is, is the best. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Wincing the night away, and I was like... No, but Wincing the night away is, no, the night away is, is, is good. It's shockingly good for a third record. And it's still on Sub Pop, which is surprising. That they, didn't, right. that they were still... You know, and then Port of Morrow, which which is shares my last name, spelled wrong, uh, is their first on a major. And I and I can only tell you what one song, simple song. It's a great song, and it's an even better video. But it's the only one I remember. And then after that, Heartworms is not very good. Right. Unfortunately, did you like the Broken Bells stuff? No, it wasn't for me. 
it's kind of, it had that one song with that really hooky synth line. That's kind of cool, but that's all I could actually remember. The, um, I worked when I first moved here to Baltimore, there was, a uh, the office I worked in, they would listen to the radio all the time and they would listen to like the local indie rock, you know, left of the dial rock station here. And they would play that one Broken Bells song over and over again. It was fucking crazy. It was right that when... That was what, uh, him, and, him and Danger Mouse? I don't know. We can edit that out, please. But <laughs> <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. I Like I said, I don't know what his lyrics are. They're too good. Yeah, I'd... Uh... I went back and re-listened to Shoots Too Narrow after this, and, and a little bit of Wincing the Night Away. And I gotta say, I think, because, like, in the canon for me of, like I said, downloading things like piecemeal back in the mid-2000s, uh, like, everything just became, like, an album of whatever I downloaded. So, like, Kissing the Lipless and Pink Bullets also ended up next to, like, Caring is Creepy and stuff like that. And I really mm. think... I mean, Kissing the Lipless weird song but uh and the lyrics on that are incredible also but i think pink bullets might be it's like a perfect song for me personally there's a lot of great songs there was a time andrew will remember this time between um when early november broke up and before i joined hello goodbye i was trying to write i was like writing some songs and recording them at the old gradwell house space and i was obsessed with the shins mm-hmm. but mainly that record so i would i was actually i went back and listened to one of the songs i made and it's a complete rip even with the staccato like guitar that he starts to do on own verdict world but does everywhere on um on shoots tune arrow but it's like a complete rip of uh saint simon yeah with the uh and i just love that record i think his all of the elements that they were kind of inching towards on Oh, inverted world they had the time to kind of and probably money you know to to execute to the best of their ability before they got this is one of the one of the more disappointing shows i ever went to go see was the shins yeah um when i want to say port of morrow came out they played the tower theater and it was a whole new band no one from the first two LPs was in the band at that point, except for maybe one dude. Richard Swift was playing keys, who, who died a couple years ago. Uh, the woman from Deep Sea Diver was playing guitar. Joe Plummer from Modest Mouse and like other giant bands was playing drums. And they were all too good at <laughs> their instruments. That's, that's the best I could put it, was they were all too good at playing songs that aren't meant to be played like perfectly not even like playing it perfectly it's just like the technique the technique of the drummer of the first record the first two records is like yeah this dude doesn't really know how to play drums right you know or like he's not a great drummer um that's why like his kick is like not timed like where it should be it's just kind of weird it's just kind of keeping tempo like mo tucker from the from the velvet underground she's not a good drummer but she's like doing cool shit. Ringo, he's not a great drummer, but he's doing cool shit. You know, like that's where that drummer was. And all of the sloppy kind of like twee parts were just removed by shredders, guy, people who could play. 
And I was remember seeing it and thinking, this isn't where this music thrives. I'm happy to see them selling out a 5,000 cap room, just like I'm happy to see Bell and Sebastian in the same room. I'm glad that, I'm glad that these great bands are, are surviving and doing well. But this music works best in much different settings oh, yeah. and with I, much different players. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't imagine seeing a band this like intimate in such a big room. You know what I mean? Like, this is music for low ceilings. Uh, and, and, you know, just having some, you know, a record that's so kind of quiet and, you know, just... <sighs> So yeah, like you know, just something that's that's it feels like it's supposed to be played directly next to you, you know. And know. maybe that was the intention. I don't, you know, like at the time when you have nothing to lose because you're not well known. Yeah. You know, he was in a failed indie rock band. Um granted Sub Pop came in and signed the band, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big deal, but at that point it didn't mean that you were going to be in you were going to be name checked in the biggest indie rom-com of that era. You know, like nobody, he probably just didn't intend for it to be anything other than it was just like, again, Bell and Sebastian was a, was a college recording uh, project that happened to win a songwriting contest that happened to give them like a 2000 pound recording budget in the, in the college studio. And that gave us three days, you know, Tiger, yeah, that gave you tiger milk. You Three know, like, days. They Can won you, a contest. How? I know? can't. How many? I mean, this record is different because he I, he did most of this at home, right? That's the story. Yeah. So, like, there's no, there's no time limit, and I think you can you can feel that there's not an immediacy to this record. You know, you listen to an, no, no, a record. No one, you listen to a record like no Tiger Milk, for it. right? But you listen to a record like Tiger Milk, and you're like, there is a, there's like a slight rush to this. Like you know, these musicians don't have all the time, like don't have the time to create. They just have to like crank out these songs. And you can hear it, in, especially in the string arrangements, because you're like, damn, like anybody, like uh, this sounds like middle schooler playing cello and violin right they're not killing it Mm -hmm. by any means (laughs) but like that's why those records work and you can tell stewart had never been on a microphone because he's literally whispering the entire record so but you've seen them recently Mm, not that recently but you know i I go to see them when i can they're coming through again pretty soon but like like post-life pursuit you've seen them oh yeah so I mean, are they still playing, you know, uh, yeah. they know we, what they're we doing. They rule the school or like, well, Mayfly. yeah, the, the best show I saw them was when they played, they did two nights. They did, uh, was when right about love came out and I was mm-hmm. living in long beach at the time. They played the palladium, uh, one night. And then they played, which was like the regular kind of like rock set. And then they played Hollywood forever cemetery the second night. And it was like fans service. It was the hushed, beautiful, you know, the fox in the snow. We would, we would, we, we rule the school like that stuff. And it was killer. And then I saw them even, I've seen them probably three times since two or three times since that. Hmm. Once at the tower you... theater, not great. <laughs> no, no uh, tower. They were good. Uh, man center. 
not the room for them. They can't, mm. that's too big. I, I, I also saw them at both of those places, but the, uh, I saw them on the like summer stage or the skyline stage with Yola Tango. And that was such a fun show. I don't think but I've ever listened to, like, I don't think I've ever listened to a Bell and Sebastian record in full. Wow. Should. Yeah. Should. I mean, they're, it's not, I'm not opposed. It's Looks uh, like you've got homework. So maybe, maybe if someone, maybe one of our esteemed guests chooses it. But do you, would you want James Mercer to do the same thing? Would you want James Mercer to be like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do a tour, like a nostalgia tour. And I'm going to do maybe not yeah. like an acoustic night, but like. I don't have any know. problem with what record plays as tours. I know that like people don't love it and it seems a little like money grabby, but like if he was going to roll through, granted that was last year, uh, Owen Verdict World. But if he was going to do Owen Verdict World the way it's meant to be heard, right. like in a room no bigger than, do five nights at Union Transfer for all right. I care. Or but better, like do or it better yet, do a month at, at Johnny Brenda's. Yeah, like, <laughs> like don't do it, don't do it any bigger than those rooms. If he now, if he wants to do shoots too narrow at um, the Fillmore, I'll go see it at the Fillmore because that's kind of a rock record. You can yeah, play but do it you big. think do you think that could sell the Fillmore? Yeah. So I, I think, feel I like, think that I don't I feel like people care cool. about that record. I I don't know if they do. It's great. I was talking about it real recently, actually. But like, I think I think that's the one. But maybe not. I don't really know hmm. because I don't know if their legacy is where I think it deserves to be. Right. I don't know. And this is one of those bands where, like, the Arcade Fire to me. Like I think I think my perception and what I like about that band is so so different than what everybody else. You know what I mean? Like because I, I think, think most people, people see, know them from that movie, right? And I think and, that's and I think, where they do they get limitations, right? I think that 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 almost makes their career a one hit wonder because that was such a huge culturally defining single moment that no other record did again. Which yeah, sounds yeah, really people, brutal when I just said that. I didn't well, mean it to be... I, I, I just looked it up, and it, it makes sense why I feel like my Shin's knowledge lands like directly between this and Shoot Too Narrow, and Garden State came out in 2004. So by the time that like really got out there into the zeitgeist, it was like, oh, uh, you know, Shoot Too Narrow was probably like already recorded at that point, maybe. It came out. It came out in 03. Oh, oh you're right. Yeah, so... I, I got it messed up. Uh, I forgot that that Owen Verdor came out in two thousand one. So yeah, like people were rediscovering things, like going backwards at that point. You That's know? why I think Zach Braff did know about it because they were on LP two. I just don't think they were that big. Right. Like, yeah. I but remember like, I bought Owen Verdor World when it was a new album and didn't know anything about it. Me and Bill Lug at Tunes Marlton, and we were like, "Oh, this is a we've heard about this read, you know, for fans of Red House Painters and whatever was on the." marketing sticker yeah you know that probably doesn't even chat track and also like it was it, it was on sub pop so on so, like that's a stamp of approval right there for a deal. lot of people you know yeah but no yeah, it, it was a big deal i just i don't like i i don't see like what i what i when i think of sub pop i don't think of the shins necessarily 
I think no, it's like, this is the era in... that Sub Pop that did really well for Sub Pop. Sure. People kind of look over this era. It's like them and Iron and Wine right. putting out really great, really big records. Right. This record went gold. Sold five hundred thousand copies. No, it, oh, like, Inverted World did. Yeah, because yeah. of the soundtrack. <laughs> It probably I mean, did a like back then CDs and and what's in LPs would sell a lot more than they do now because of physical sales, but it probably did strong numbers on its own because it was well received. I remember it being well received, but I don't remember anyone being like, "This is the biggest band in indie." Because you got to remember at that time, two thousand one, indie rock sounded like the Strokes and Interpol, yeah, yeah. and yeah, 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 and Block Party. But Black Friday is maybe a bit too a bit later, but like that was rock. That was like indie but it was, rock yeah, music. At it was kind of like Brit pop, garage rock, like mixed together. It uh, was anything but this. And then yeah. movies, twee movies came out, like Garden State and Juno, and made people right. turn their head and go. Because the biggest uh, Bell and Sebastian song up until recently on Spotify was Piazza New York Catcher because it's it's featured in Juno. Yeah, right. and like these bands would get these bumps because their music is so timeless and it works so cinematically. Whereas like, you know, last night by the strokes, great fucking band, great song. doesn't really work in like this little love movie, you know, this little love story. So that just like same thing with iron and wine, iron and wine put out these great, amazing, beautiful folk records. But what is he best known for his cover of, of postal service, the, uh, postal service. Yeah, Again, right. another record from this era. Postal yep. Service was keeping Sub Pop alive, you know, oh, like, yeah. at that time. And also, like, so it's a good paved the way for a million other bands also, you know? It's a, it's a really good Sub Pop era, really, when you think about it. And then, you know, probably allow them to sign Father John Misty, who I think was, like, the last big thing on that label. Yeah, I love, I, I love like, uh, learning more about the Postal Service is a quick direction, but, like, everyone kind of put that as it's ben gibbard's band but it was actually like the guy from i think his name's mark from figurine like it was his project who we just had his friend what? ben sing on jimmy <laughs> tamborello is that yeah that okay yeah, yeah that's from it is. from dentel dentel and figurine yeah yeah because yeah, that you know before postal service they did uh the dentel song the dream of evan evan and sean yep um and then there was another song they did that was that was a dentel song but i well, I think they did like be still my heart for like something mm. else as like a one-off and it yeah and then they put yeah, the album together low key, um the the postal service cover of man oh, against that, all odds no the, the phil collins uh, song that song fucking rips Oh, I the version of that. Against All Odds is so good. No, I haven't listened to that. Um, How about the Shins cover of We Become Silhouettes? That, it's, it's better than the yep. original. Yeah. It's so good. It's a cool cover. I don't know if it's better, but Silhouettes it's a cool cover. That guitar solo? Whew. Whew. But no, they're... I will the, say the Shins, they do a cover. This is going to be goofy because one of the dumbest things Paul McCartney ever did was simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Mm-hmm. That song is like pretty universally hated but the shins cover of it is so fucking cool and it was used in a starbucks commercial and i remember <laughs> oh being God. like damn this rips and it's just like a full-on like phil specter production and i still every christmas time have to uh revisit it it's really good nice 
So I think we're kind of kind of winding down a little bit. I, I wanted to ask uh, ask you, Joe, if there were any embarrassing stories about Andrew you want to to spill the beans. What? No, this isn't. I don't no. want to. <laughs> no one's listening this far in the podcast. You know. There's, there's probably yeah. Plenty. I can't imagine a thing I've done that's not embarrassing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just that's I'm true. just fucking around. But uh, yeah, I mean, Joe, what do you what do you got to promote? We're, we're plugging. Oh, I don't have a whole lot to promote, to be honest. Um, come on down to Hello Donuts at 2557 Amber Street, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There we go. Uh, that's that's worth that's worth promoting. Other than that, I've got bands on the road putting out records that's mainly what i do i have management clients that i spend most of my time working on who's yeah, your favorite band up. right now just <laughs> of of the bands you work with <laughs> F- fuck mary kill uh the wonder years <laughs> wild pink and foxing i've got more than that but uh they, i love them all they're all great um yeah i didn't I will realize say whatever you... one I didn't realize you managed uh, gatherers. Uh, I know the singer. I don't. I don't manage gatherers. Oh, why is it That's in your Anthony. list? Because there's two other managers here. Actually, there's three other managers Gotcha. Here. Okay. But they're under your, under your umbrella of yeah. the company. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That's An- Anthony Jessa from gatherers manages gatherers. Amazing. And he also manages a number of other bands. But um, he's, a, he's a great dude. Um, Bayon's I mean, like, own. keep myself most busy with... Um, Wonder Years, Foxing, Wild Pink, all things Soupy, which are Solo and Aaron West, and of course, uh, early November, got announcing a tour tomorrow. Not early November, Ace Sanders Solo announcing a tour. Then early November tour will be later. Exclusive. This sure. comes out Tuesday. But... Don't know when this comes out. <laughs> sure. Can you help me get John Ross to do this? Yeah, John will do it. John will oh, do it. fuck yeah. But he's gonna want to talk about what's that band that he likes that I don't understand. He likes Shane McGowan a lot of the Pogues. <laughs> no, I don't John, think is it John TV on the radio? John, no, that's like a foxing thing. Those guys no, love that. Um, what's the band he likes? Oh, War on Drugs. He likes War on Drugs, but I don't. But anything you think John likes a lot, he probably likes. But it's not probably like his thing. He's an odd you every time people are like you like them right and he's like yeah i like this i've heard a song or two i like it you know <laughs> people think he likes taylor swift a lot because he does taylor swift cover and he's like no nah, i only know that song <laughs> like <laughs> he's an interesting dude i gotta i have a phone call with him tomorrow i'm gonna pick up forrest klein tomorrow oh, man. newark that's what why i had dream. to move it to today what hey, if you, you want to if you want to grab lunch from in jersey city we'll we'll come, go get coffee <laughs> i, I I am going to go into the Newark airport, get him, and then turn around and get to uh, Eva for dinner. Mm. <sighs> Friend yeah. of the pod. Friend of the pod, Greg Dunn. Greg Dunn. <laughs> Greg, I, uh, I stopped into Eva the last time I was in town, and uh, they weren't hoping. Yeah, we got bagels. Right, right, right. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. After that, um, I stopped in real quick. Oh, the day that we had lunch at Middle Child. I popped in oh, to get a right. coffee. That was like my, two weeks ago. Yeah, on my way out. And uh, and I, I sat down and I was like, Greg, I texted you about doing the podcast and you didn't answer me. And he goes, uh. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, will you do it? And he's like, what are we talking about? And I'm like, we're talking about records. And he said, you son of a bitch, I'm in. So <laughs> Yeah, he's funny. 
How um, often do you eat there? That place fucks. Last time I ate there was well, I got I got the breakfast with you, right? And then Laura and I went like maybe a couple weeks before that, and we're mm-hmm. going we're going tomorrow. Well, you know we're getting there's a little group going tomorrow. Nice. So we're what going a good tomorrow, job. but I, I I don't eat that there that often. Um, I would like to eat there more. Um, have you kind of have you it. and Greg kind of falling out? Are you guys? <laughs> no, I think you saw Greg last Friday. Um, I love Greg. I just don't go that often. What a weird guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, my closing thought on Greg Dunn. This is a Greg Dunn <laughs> podcast now. Do you listen to the band Hammock? Yeah, I good. would have never listened to Hammock if not for Greg Dunn mentioning it on a podcast. And it's oh, that's like his that's like his thing is like it's like spa pretty music. spa music. Yeah, he loves Just that stuff. Swelling He's pads. Ants now. I He's singing saw, singing bowls and I couldn't believe he uh, yeah. didn't electrocute himself. Yeah, we, maybe we'll see. Anyway. <laughs> Alright. Uh, uh Andrew. Yeah, I almost called you Anthony. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any plugs? Um I uh launched a new podcast today. It's called Run Into the Ground. <laughs> you can follow that at Run Into the Ground on Instagram. Um I'm very excited to be doing this, Daniel. Um It's all happening. You can you can follow me. Who else at, have you interviewed um the before me? Uh Mitch. Mitchell. That's it's it. and yeah, it's good. We got we got people in the pipeline though. <laughs> yeah, you want to know? Who's you're in the you're part of the introductory drop though. We're dropping three episodes March first. So, wow, that's soon. You're yeah, next week. You're the you're, you're the one. You need a photo. You need a photo of me. Yeah, we just took one. <laughs> you're sucking. You're sucking on an orange peel. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, I you gotta get follow- a new passport photo tomorrow. Oh shit. <laughs> We, yeah, we need to have over. you back on because I want to talk about your Italian uh, Italian your your whole Italian uh, journey because I'd like Good to return you. to the motherland myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can follow me at Dambassini on Twitter and Instagram, dambassini.com. Uh, got a bunch of books and zines for you to buy. Uh, hoping to get my Fashion Week photos back soon, and No Invite Volume Eight will be in the works. Uh, yeah, and I think that about. I, since you're all hearing this now and it, it's opening day for the podcast, so to speak, please rate, review, subscribe. We're trying to get those numbers up like early in the podcast game. Trying to do it right. And I hate asking. But uh, yeah, just do all the normal shit that makes the algorithm happy. Joe, any Is closing this one thoughts? sponsored by MailChimp? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's Blue all Chew I got. exclusively. Um, Blue Chew and Manscaped. This is sponsored by Magic Spoon. Um, I'll, anything for uh, free i'll show d- dugout mugs <laughs> yeah i think we don't oh, listen adam and eve <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> i was gonna say maybe we do listen to the same podcast all right i think that about wraps it up uh thank you joe we'll have to have you back on and uh we'll talk Sounds about good. something else awesome thanks, thank uh, you guys thanks folks bye have a good night. You gotta hear this one song it'll change your life i swear oh i'm sorry you have to uh i gotta fill out your forms Conundrum. Think you could uh, maybe listen yeah, while you could? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I want to. Prince is new before you. That's what I said now. Prince is. Prince is who I know you. Just go ahead.
good. I like it.